0: Okay, how about now? Oh, my goodness, guys. You sound Ugh. like a million dollars. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, man. Rob, you do sound pretty good. i got to say. Awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. All right.
0: Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time, and put internally at your disposal.
2: I'm, <laughs> I'm on vacation. Okay it's your day off, isn't it?
0: No, I'm on vacation. I'm actually in my nephew's room in, in McKinney, Texas.
1: Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man. Tell your brother hello, too. I will. I'm using,
0: I'm using his microphone rig that he used when he Skyped into our podcast. Oh, cool. Sweet. Mm-hmm. He's at work right now. And you're just
2: drinking in your nephew's room. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Hashtag
1: celibacy. Uh, is yeah. your nephew drinking with you? Is no, you he's know. only fourteen. Yeah, I oh. can answer the question.
0: no yeah. he's not. So is he? That's against the law. No, it's been great. I'm. I've been down here since Sunday night, just hanging with the kids. I, my niece said something the night I got here. They were they stayed up kind of late because I got in late because uh, I had masses and everything on Sunday, but I wanted to get down here before mm-hmm. Monday. Um, so I was asking them, you know, like, what are you guys doing? I haven't seen them since Thanksgiving, the whole family. And I was like, what, what are you guys doing for the summer? And a couple of them have little camps here and there, but a lot of them don't have anything. There's five of them, the kids. And I just go, so what do you guys do all day? And Marissa, my niece, goes, uh, we get up, we eat breakfast, then we do the day. <laughs> <laughs> and that struck us all so funny. We just eat breakfast and then we do the day. Just do it. That's kind of become the motto of this week. What are we doing today? We're going to do the day. Just do the day. <laughs> <laughs> Such an active, transitive verb, doing the day. Doing the day. But we do have it. been doing days. We played Say pe- that again? We have been doing the days. We played pickleball today. Mm. Went to the pool. Um... My brother was working, so it was me and my sister-in-law mm-hmm. taking the kids around. Yesterday, we, did, we went fishing and caught bluegill like it was our job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fixed all the fishing poles, which made me feel like a man. And then my niece, Gabby, who's the, she's eight now. She just turned eight in June. She's the one with the heart problem. Mm-hmm. She's like the most perseverant little girl I've ever seen. Mm. So that we brought... Um, hot dogs as bait and it's just like this little retention pond off of of a parking lot that they go fish at sometimes but nobody in the family is very like expert fishermen least of all me but i could i figured out how to fix the reels and stuff like that and we we had three poles going and she was using a big person rod like a an adult fishing rod and the hooks were way too big to catch these little bluegill And they just kept taking the hot dog off of the hook. (laughs) And I swear, like, nobody was supervising her. She just kept going. And she never even thought to, like, bring the hot dog over to the shore where she was, like, baiting the hook. She just Every time they took the hot dog, she'd go, oh, they stole it. And then she'd walk back over to the picnic table, get another piece of hot dog, bring it back, bait the hook, throw it in. This fish would take it again. (laughs) It It must have been 30 or 40 times she did that. Wow. Until she finally caught a fish all by herself. Wow. (laughs) She just you should have seen her face. She pulls this fish out and she goes, Ah I caught a fish (laughs) And I'm like That's because you never gave up. That is like a storybook ending to that. Yeah. Perseverance. So it's been really, really great just being with the kids and they all Yeah, it sounds like you're enjoying it. Seeing their personalities having developed and my nephew, whose room I'm standing in as a teenager, now he's going to high school next year. Wow. So time goes quickly. That's a great relaxing week. Will you be there all week? Till Friday, yeah. I'm going to out Friday afternoon. That's awesome.
2: You know, well, I guess we went, we did family vacations kind of, I went on vacation with my family and then Rob, you just got back, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I've been back, I got back on Saturday.
2: Nice. And then
0: you're vacationing now, Father? Yep. But I'm still podcasting while I'm on vacation because I'm not a loser.
2: No, it's because you're bad at doing family. Okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you kidding? My whole family's in here right now with me, dude. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're cheering me on. They have blow up to like, my oh face. my gosh, you're crushing it right now with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing story <laughs> hook, line, and sinker. Oh, pun intended. So.
2: It That does remind me, when we were at the beach, uh, we went down to one of the beaches in North Carolina, and we just get a monster beach house, and we vacation with another pretty big family, and it sleeps like 30 people, and so we just kind of take over whatever area of beach that we're right in front of, but this place that we were at this year had a little basketball court and like a runoff in a, a little bay where there was um, extra ocean water that was off to the side, and so we would go down and and hunt slash fish for crabs and no joke this process was cook bacon in the morning walk down with bacon (laughs) put it on the end of a of a basically like a stick with a string and a hook so i mean like the most uh, primitive fishing line of all time yes like huckleberry fan like no real i mean it it, you're just sticking a line in put bacon into water (laughs) lower down (laughs) And then raise stick up, and you have this monster crab just like (laughs) latched on to the end of the line with his mouth. It's hilarious. Well, he'll like I guess they go for it, and then they'll they'll like hook on to the to the wire, whatever, and onto the fishing line. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Chris caught. I mean, he just caught a ton. He was obsessed with it (laughs) because it's so easy. It's to be successful. I mean, it's takes no skill, literally no skill. And he caught a huge crab. And he was like running around showing everyone in the park this massive crab that he has. Wait, how old is Chris? Chris is eight now. Okay. Yes. And he, he has him in this pretty big bucket. And Chris loves this crab. And this thing is so ugly. Gosh, man. <laughs> Crabs are hilarious. And they're like, they're really angry too. So, I mean, you get close and they're like snapping at you. I mean, we did just take it out of its natural environment, I guess. So, But we're like, Chris, if you're going to take it back like to the beach... You have to make sure that you have water in it but the problem he realized (laughs) was his the crab's already in the bucket but the bucket doesn't have any water so uh, we we like watch him leave and then we come back around because he was taking a little while and when we turn the corner it's chris and he's out like in squatted ninja position and the crab is out running around (laughs) So I guess he had he was like trying to wrangle the crab back in because he had dumped the crab out to fill the bucket up. (laughs) He was gonna grab him and put him back in. So we come around to see him like in a stare down with this crab. Like, (laughs) did he catch it? Yeah, he got him and he he put him back in the bucket. So, did they
0: pinch you? Did they hurt you?
2: I this one didn't seem like it was almost big enough where it could, but I don't think it it would have really hurt. Maybe broke skin, but Mm. nothing. Mm. Yeah, it's not lopping fingers. I don't think
0: crabs are so weird. I remember when I was in Costa Rica, they had tons of crabs that would come up with the tide and mm. they'd be all over the road. Like the, the roads that went down to the beach would just be littered with crab carcasses that people had run over with their cars. It was really gruesome because there's just tons of them. And they were these were little guys, like red little crabs. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I ever saw one alive. They would just like wash up and. There must have just been a billion of them in the ocean. Huh. But this was a tide pool that you were hunting for them in? No, this
2: would have been like, it looked like a pond, but it was just... Uh, but it was ocean water. Yeah, it was ocean water. Okay. So the the portion of the island that we were on, ocean water, just kind of was on the other
1: side uh-huh. of it. So, Rob, where did you go with your family? We went to the sand dunes in Michigan.
2: Oh, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was super fun. We rented a big house as well. And we stayed like in a little area, probably like a half mile from Lake Michigan, and then they had this sweet little like uh, smaller lake, and then the sand dunes were like in between them. Uh, so it was a blast, and had all my nieces and nephews there, and yeah, it was just it was so much fun. But uh, the it definitely made me want a truck really bad whoa because there was all these like just jacked up you know old restored trucks and jeeps up there because people take them up to the sand dunes and my brother-in-law was in heaven (laughs) and he's he's a gearhead big time so seriously he would like there'd be something driving down the road and i'd be like oh that's a sweet truck and be like oh yeah that's either a 77 or a 78 chevy like you can tell because of the headlights and like this and this and um, and then you'd see like a Ford Bronco and you'd be like, oh yeah, that's definitely pre 1978 because of the bo- body style and oh. everything. But there was all these like just super cool trucks. So we would go out a couple of the days and you could hike up on the dunes and back ways, which was super fun because you could like run up them and race down and stuff. And, um, but you could sit and then watch all the people on the sand dunes that like in the ATV and truck park. And they would just like run these things like crazy, um, and we did a beach day and a bunch of other stuff too, so it's just yeah it was it was really, really fun. What's the deal with sand dunes what
0: how do they form
1: <laughs> mm, I i s I'm still not I'm still not real sure the guy we went on like a dune ride up there, and the guy was saying they that it had a lot to do with like lumber yards and then as they removed like trees and forests it, it came in and burnt and like exposed all this sand but I don't know I think he was and he said he said like half the he was just a storyteller you know so some of the stuff definitely wasn't true that he was saying and I don't know if I bought that necessarily so I thought there was some really natural
0: process that made
1: them yeah I don't know in answer to your question I really don't know they're some, crazy. Some though. truck
0: owning dude spinning tails, dude. That's all that is. Dude, oh, man, God, God
2: made those. Okay. They didn't like develop over time. He said sand dunes. Wasn't that the he
0: fifth day? He made he the sand dunes. Them,
2: he spoke them into being yeah.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. on the fifth day. On the fifth day, the He made the du- sand dunes and the dune buggies and the mm-hmm. big Dodge Ram 2500 dually pickups. The dually. All the yep. ATVs.
1: So I do know my dream truck though now. Please tell me, Rob, what is it? Either a nineteen ninety four to ninety seven, somewhere in that range. Ford... Wait, can we guess? No.
2: It's gonna to be out say.
1: there.
0: Well, nineteen ninety four to nineteen ninety seven, well, Ford F one fifty, obviously. Well it's gonna be a Ford.
1: Or I could go with the F 250 or even the F three fifty. The V ten type Triton? <laughs> yeah, dude. <gasps> It's a pretty sweet truck. When we were oh, on the, the fire crew, our
0: <clears throat> our trucks that we used were V ten Ford F 350s
1: Are you serious?
0: And that you would you could literally watch the gas gauge move <laughs> <laughs> as you're driving down the highway at fifty five. Like, and but on top of that, the there were they had like crew boxes on the back, you know, for for fire stuff. So it was like a truck body, but then the bed was taken off, and then they, they had put this big thing, but it, it was taller than the cabin of the truck. So it had just like a flat wall a couple feet above the cab hmm. that acted like just a sail. I'm sure it had no aerodynamics. It was <laughs> this is a massive engine just guzzling gasoline.
1: <laughs> that's incredible.
0: So is it an F 150 that you want?
1: I, I would take any of them, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It that, but that's a
0: good body style. It's kind of boxy at that time. Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. It's just a good old truck, man.
0: Yeah. And they're not too, they now they're ridiculous, obscenely large vehicles. But back oh, yeah. then I felt like oh, yeah. even if you'd get one with the little back seat thing, they weren't huge. Mm-hmm. They were manageable. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you're a former truck owner. I mean, what did that S10 have under the hood? I wouldn't
0: say have... that much of a truck, two wheel drive <laughs> S10 step side. It had a inline four. It was, oh, nice. There you go. I, I drove it out to Colorado when I was doing CPE out there. Wow, and I'd, and I'd go up into the mountains on my days off, and people would be like, just right on, because a lot of them are two lane highways where you have to pass. You know, I hate passing. Right. But we'd going, I'd be going up the mountain, and people would just be honking at me, like "Go faster!" Why? <laughs> and then they'd pass me. I'd be like, "I'm literally going as fast as this thing will go. <laughs> I have my pedal, my pedal to the metal." I love that truck. That
2: was a. I it was mean, good. It was a good. It was a very good truck. It I had it you for well. like
0: ten years, from well, the time I was a go. senior in high school until a year into priesthood. Wow! Yeah. I did like that little truck. Yeah. It was great because no, nobody ever asked you for rides, <laughs> unless, <laughs> they're gonna, unless they're going to ride in the bed under the topper. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so awful. I did oh, that okay. once. Somebody rode in the back once, with the topper down, <laughs> like this. I would never do that. It's like a coffin. <laughs> but what's great uh, about trucks too? Not to make this whole thing about trucks, but sleep—you can sleep in the back of them. Hmm. It's so awesome to be able to car camp and just sleep in your truck. In the bed, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. the best. I've never way to done camp.
1: that, but I can. I—that is pretty cool in theory, anyway. Yeah.
0: I did it in the snow once. It was snowing, and I just put the little topper. It was the topper that wasn't like a whole big canopy. It was just, you remember, it was just the yeah, that the bed. Down. It just covered the bed. And I would just crawl in there. And it was tall enough that I could, with a headlamp, read a book in there. And it was freezing cold, snowing, and hmm. I was happy as a clam. Where was this? Um, Near the Illinois River. It was a hunting trip. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you just get snowed on, or did you
2: sleep under the top?
0: I slept under the top. I'd shut it and I crawled in with the tailgate open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Slept in there.
1: Very peaceful. Dude, what, what, seriously, like what if a raccoon would have crawled in there, though? (laughs) (laughs) A little buddy? Yeah, a little buddy. He uh, he was cold. (laughs) He just needed some body heat. (laughs) Yeah. Just found him a little hole to crawl into, you know? Yeah. uh,
2: Yep. Let him in there with you. I'm glad well, I didn't even
1: consider that. Well, I don't know where this is all going here, how we can tie this in. Although I do love truck talking about trucks. And I know probably three times as much as I knew about trucks after a week in the same house with my brother-in-law. <laughs> right. But uh, throw out a question, and we can toss this pretty quick if, if necessary. But Because uh, I actually have been like mulling this over and molding over on vacation, too. But I don't know if it was I can't remember if it was uh Sherry Waddell or if it was somebody else that I was talking to. But I've just with preaching here on a regular basis, what's your guys' thoughts on like at a Catholic Sunday Mass that you've experienced, can you presuppose faith in the people mm. there? Mm. Um and not and I don't want to like get into it in any way like questioning, I mean there's obviously something going on, you know, the Holy Spirit's at work in the people just for being there. So it's not like they don't have faith, but it's like somebody made that point once was just like maybe a better question is like, can you ass- assume not that you assume anything, but like, in a sense, do the people you're talking to. Like, how do you speak to where they're at? Because it's it's just so, so diverse, like in even a small parish that I'm in like the diversity here is crazy. So I was actually like weighing on me for your guys' thoughts on that. Does that make sense? I have a lot yeah. of thoughts on this. Yeah. I have a have lot you,
2: it. has it come up when you're, do you preach daily masses, Rob?
1: Yeah, I probably preach, I preach like two or three daily masses a week. Okay. Um, and then this weekend will be my second like weekend preaching here. Um, and it's just, well, it's just fascinating, man. Cause it's just, you realize more and more, um like everyday like real life is just i found it to be like so not disconnected isn't the right word but just like reading the media and like reports like that are just so unfair like or or just like they don't give you a like a proper spectrum on people people are really complex you know like i've literally met people that um You know, and and, I mean, this isn't a a huge parish. And I've met people that have left the church because they think the church is too liberal. And I've met people that have left the church because they think the church is too conservative. And I mean, like the spectrum is complete. And I don't feel like, you know, there are definitely more diverse places than Decatur, Illinois. And still, you see it all here. Um, So it's just like, I don't know, all of a sudden, it's just way more real for me to mull that stuff over.
2: <clears throat> yeah well i i can certainly relate to the um to the diversity of just what people bring in i mean because everybody i guess that yeah in a similar way i guess another way to say it is i was surprised at how much just baggage that everybody brings in and so like gen- generalizing statements you basically can't make right, especially that's, a,
1: i think that's that's a really good way to say it
2: yeah yeah i mean and even just feedback on homilies, like the spectrum of feedback that I'll get like, oh, that was good for this reason or that was good for like a totally different reason. like Not necessarily a contradictory reason, but yeah, no, it's very, very true. Um, I don't know. Connor, you said you had a lot of thoughts on it.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so my first thought is, um, this is something I heard when I was in seminary, but it has borne out to be true in practice as well, that you can't, you can't like pre, premeditate or predict what it is that people need to hear. Like if you try to orchestrate, this is for this particular audience, the message that I need to say, because this is what they need to hear. You know, sometimes I ask myself that question, but more often than not, uh, it's really true that the, the good preachers preach to themselves. Like what whatever from the readings god has kind of spoken to you where he's moved you uh is probably where he's moving you to speak from and that's mm-hmm. not always the case sometimes i think like i sure. just don't i just don't know that this will translate you know so i do do some a little bit of uh management of my thoughts and trying to fit them into something i mean just know your audience so it's basically just the first principle of speaking mm-hmm. um but one great analogy Matt Jameson, you know him? Yep, a classmate yeah. of mine. Oh, yeah. He sure. he mentioned yep. uh the whole, you know, the corny like oh when you I'll look up at the moon at night and you look up at the moon like, you know, star-crossed lovers who were living in different places like and we'll be looking up at the same moon, you know? That there's some kind of connection there because even though you're on a different side of the world, the moon is the same everywhere in the world. He kind of used that analogy to Talk about why someone who is listening for the Holy Spirit might hear exactly, quote, exactly what they needed to hear in your homily. You know, people, maybe you haven't had this yet, but I'm sure you will if you haven't already. People say, I felt like you were talking to me, you know. Um, Well, you weren't. Like, you didn't mean to, but God, who you were looking at and receiving grace from when you compose this homily also knows this person he knows you and he knows this person and he in in his master plan and providence orchestrated it so that you will happen to be the one preaching this particular homily on this particular day to that particular person in their circumstances and um just like this podcast you know like people have said insane i you know like this is exactly what i need to hear and it's just us baloneying (laughs) into microphones over Skype you know it's like how how could that possibly be unless it was in God's plan sure uh you know that they wouldn't hear it so that's the first thing but on the other hand uh I do say like you said can you presume faith I my big question is can you presume literacy in the faith you know okay
1: that's a better way to say because that yeah I I wanted to be careful and I didn't have it worded right. So that's, that's more onto it. Go Literacy
0: ahead. or fluency. Like do you, so a good example was a uh, Corpus Christi. Um, I think I've, this is my third Corpus Christi as a priest. And this past homily, I don't remember all my homilies on it, but this past one, I went at transubstantiation and talked about it, defined it and basically taught what it meant and why it was important and then ended up with a with a message of like how to participate in the eucharist and how god like it's all about the power of words that god speaks things and they happen you know yeah um that's pretty high octane dude it is but you you can just break it down uh and this a a parishioner actually said this to me like i love your homilies because you just break it down like you don't assume that we know things you know um not in a way that's condescending hopefully i try not to be condescending um Usually you have little little devices like, I'm sure, as you know, this blah, blah, blah. You know, um, 500 years ago, there was a Protestant Reformation and this happened and people thought this, you know, just like giving the basic background and not getting bogged down too much in the details. That's not always my strength. Sometimes I do get bogged down in the details. But, um, you know, what are the three things Aristotle said about a good speaker? Like, uh, they are enthusiastic. They enthuse their audience, they teach their audience. I can't remember what his three marks of a good speaker are. I don't know. But it's like teaching, inspiration, and oh, I forget, storytelling or something like that. But in, in a way that like you're moving them, but you're also leaving them something that they can remember, you know, either through a story or through some kind of teaching. But anyway, these are these are disorganized thoughts, but my point is that i have found that people really appreciate when you break it down and you you talk to them like adults but you also don't assume that they know anything um that sounds bad but you know what i mean right like i think so yeah no, that so no, i don't presume literacy in the faith uh yeah and a yeah. daily and a, obviously a daily mass is a lot different than a sunday mass sure but... sure um no, I like that. I like that even
1: even as far like, even helping to, like, formulate and think about the question more. Because I knew, like, asking do you presume faith, like, I don't know, that just wasn't the right question for me. So, do you presume literacy? I like that. Um, yeah, I like that a lot, a lot more anyway. So, I don't know. And this is, you know, it's kind of, like, internal, um, like, thoughts and stuff. So, I don't know That's quite... To what i'm trying to ask yet but i like the thoughts a lot i mean they help me kind of get a framework to start around it anyway i
2: was i was actually surprised in just preparing so i don't preach i haven't preached a daily mass yet actually yeah. but i preach basically every sunday mm. um, i preach preached every sunday that i've been here so the the pastor just said you take all my masses and I'm gonna take a break over the summer, <laughs> and uh, so he's just using me to to preach, yeah, basically every Sunday. So this Sunday I'll preach in Spanish, which Dude. I'm pretty excited about. Nice. Um, you gonna write it out? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm not even close to fluency to be able to. Well, if I practice it, I I, I might could get it. But um, I'm I'm actually surprised in preparation just. So, like, <clears throat> usually the process will be I'll read them early, fairly early in the week with, like, a Bible study or on my own. And then, you know, you have, like, the initial ideas or the things that strike you immediately when you read it. Um, and then <clears throat> sometime during the week, maybe a Thursday or, like, Wednesday or Thursday, or sometimes Friday, I'll actually sit down and, like, fully write the thing out. But the whole time during the week, like, I'll it'll just kind of be there with me in prayer. Like I'm not necessarily doing Lectio on the readings or praying with the readings. Like I'm kind of always, it's just always working on me, you know, whatever whatever the readings are for the week. And then like it'll come together and and I'll kind of work on it a little bit more and more. But I've even had experiences just for preaching for three or four weeks where like Saturday morning, I had the homily written, and Saturday morning I was preaching the four on Saturday. Like the actual conclusion to the homily that the that the Lord wanted me to preach, f- finally came to me in prayer, and it took the whole week mm-hmm. of like sitting with it and praying with it. And it was around the Eucharist. It was around the Eucharist. Was I was talking about the experience of hunger? That's like the universal experience, and how when you hunger for something, you you end up finding the food for it but like i didn't really have the conclusion that was there and then like the final day i was praying with it and all of a sudden i realized like oh our hunger is actually just a share in god's hunger for us and like that's actually the amazing thing is that god's so hungry to be with us yeah we hunger for the infinite but the infinite so much wants to be with us and that's actually like what we share in our participation in it but it took the whole week of like praying with it and thinking with it. And then when I gave it, it honestly felt like I had been laboring for this thing. And like here, like I, this is something that the Lord actually shared with me. And like there was a a partial discovery in a relationship with God that I want to tell you guys about. And so I, I guess I was just surprised at how impactful it is to preach, not just like the actual act of getting up to preach, but being a preacher, like it I don't know. It's it's sorta of changed um how I pray in some ways and um yeah. I don't know. It's it's exhausting, but it's also very, very life giving. Um you know, like preaching two two masses Saturday, like the four and then the five back to back. I was very tired. You know, you're like You know, I only I preach for ten minutes, maybe it's a twenty minutes in total, but you really give give of yourself in it. Um, So
0: yeah, that is very true.
1: I don't know why this struck me the way it did, but when you how you worded that, Mets, which is really good stuff, uh, it just clicked. Of like, if we are preachers like that's a scary thing to me. I know that's like <laughs> a sidebar, but anyway, oh, yeah. it really did hit me. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 You are.
0: You're
1: preachers.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, it is exhausting and you do feel like you're giving and giving and but you know what has been helpful to me uh, doing it for 3 years and now basically preaching every day, every morning and then mm-hmm. uh, three three times on Saturday, three times on Sunday usually. And Saturday, you know, it's like a funeral and then a quinceanera or Sunday, it's three masses and then a baptism, all of which have homilies. And many times they're different homilies, but, and you you really can't do what you're talking about for every funeral or every. Right. Right. And I do, I don't just give a canned homily at funerals. I, I spend maybe 15 minutes or 20, 30 minutes before a funeral. I go up in my room and I'm just quiet and I listen and I think. And then I you know, I have a few things that I kind of go back to as um talking points at funerals, but I do try to think about the person and pray for the person and think about what to say, particularly in this case, or having gone to the wake and met the family. I mean, it's a think about how many homilies you've heard in your life. Okay? And how many do you remember? Yeah. See, being on the other side, you think. That it's like this is this is do or die. This has to be amazing, uh, and if it is, then I'm just gonna like totally change people's worldviews or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever you think, even if you don't think it explicitly. Because if you did, it would be so ridiculous. Um, you're just feeding people, you know. Uh, it's great, like if you're a mother or father and you're cooking dinner for your family, you want it to be amazing, you know. But at the end of the day, you just got to get food in them so that they can go out and do their thing do the day you know it's true and And it's
1: interesting that even of the homilies that i remember it's it's very interesting that a number of them were not amazing like it was just kind of that god thing of like it was just what i needed to hear then like i remember really specifically one that uh father luke gave at might have been at focus training when it was in champagne but his point, I don't even remember what story he told with it, but it was so simple of just to really love is always worth the risk. Like, it always comes with risk. And if you're really going to love somebody, then it's worth it to risk rejection or, you know, whatever, having to move or, like, all this stuff. Like, it's just worth it if you, if you really love the person. And that stuck with me. I remember thinking about that even with – um like the notion of celibacy or going to seminary or whatever, like throughout that whole discernment. It's like, no, to really love is is worth that risk. It's like, I really think this is how God wants to love me the most and um, how I can love God the most. And it's very risky, you know, because it's a life that is kind of scary um, thinking about anyway.
0: That's kind of uh, like what I was trying to say. And that email, which it seemed like you read because you responded to as well from that. Oh yeah, shout out
1: to her. Yeah, that was an awesome. You did that was a super cool email to get, and you had a really good response by the
0: way. Yeah, just for the listeners anonymously, it was a girl who was thinking about religious life and asking like, how does God provide for you for your intimacy needs and celibacy? And it's like, yeah, it's a risk. I'm not going to lie to you. You you can't be sure that that's going to happen, but you can. You can have experiences that lead you to believe that it will, um, especially yeah. if you're living chastely um, now and you have a relationship with God. You can see the uh, sort of premonitions or foreshadowing of what it might be like, but you can't know twenty years from now when you're at a place that you didn't choose to be at, and you know friendships that were there before have faded or, or not. These people aren't around anymore and stuff like that. You just have to trust. At the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, well, that's, so back to the point is you're it's an example of a tiny little message that was probably a throwaway line in some guy's homily. Right. That completes, yeah. And a good example for me is something my first communion teacher said, which I'm sure a game of telephone effect, you don't, this isn't even what they said, but it's what you sure. heard. Right. Um, That every time you receive communion, you get more of the life of Jesus in you. Something to that effect is what she said to me. Because it was, it must have been when I realized that after your first communion, then you get to go to communion every time you go to church. Because up until then, you're a kid and you, I would stay in the pew when my older brothers and my mom would go up to communion. Mm. And so what I was really, I always say this in my first communion homilies, what I was really looking forward to was my second communion and then my third communion and fourth communion. And every time I went up there to get communion, it was like, I was probably playing video games at the time, was that second grade. And I th- I thought of it as like a power-up, like I got more of the life yeah. of Jesus in me, you know, like <laughs> power-up. Yeah. So that, I don't know if I've said that before, but that, to this day even, is somehow part of my spiritual life. And it was something a second-grade CCD teacher said, uh, you know, how many years ago? 25 years ago? Wow. So you just never know. You can't predict. But you can do... I guess my point is that you can do a good job, you know,
2: relax. Yeah. And I guess the thing that like, that I come back to is you said like, we can, you can do it. You can, you can preach. And yeah, I guess like in my experience, as short as it is, it's realizing like God wants to feed his people and if you're going to give him the time and the space to say like, I want to participate in feeding your people. Like God is going to provide, even if our words are absurd and ridiculous, like he still desires to feed them. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's going to be the one who provides for it. And like, that's been super true for me as God just continues to provide. Um, so yeah, I mean, the homilies hopefully are good, but at the end of the day, like Even if it's a bad homily, God will squeeze, you know, he'll make lemon out of lemonade. He'll make lemonade out of lemons, whatever. (laughs) So, which I'm very grateful for because that's a huge comfort for me, at least in preparation. And because like I'll totally fall very, very quickly into um, like, no, this has to be a home run homily. This has to be out of the park every single time. Yeah. And, and then when it's like, no, that's not. That's not what this is. Then it it actually frees me to to preach and to prepare better because it kind of puts my own words into its proper context, which is the liturgy, which is like me being a preacher of Jesus, like a deacon of Jesus, not just out on my own. So, yeah, God, I mean, he's he provides. That's that's been my experience so far.
0: God provides.
2: God provides. Yeah. But yeah, you do you do run that. into
0: like w- well have I said <laughs> all of the things that was funny have I said all of the things now um, and what what new thing can I say I, I, even last week I ran into that where with these readings like no, I, coming yeah. up into it into ordinary time it was like you got your Pentecost okay you're talking about the Holy Spirit you got your uh, Trinity Sunday you're talking about the Holy Trinity you got your Corpus Christi and back through you you know had Easter the Ascension. Yeah. It was all very concrete things that you talk about. <clears throat> um, And then it was like, ordinary time, here's some readings, figure out what to say. It was like I was out of practice with that. <laughs> and I, to your point, Mike, about like getting that little nugget, you know, the day of, basically, of the day you had to preach. Uh, and I had a lot going. And it was like Saturday. And my homily on Saturday night was different than my homily on Sunday because I was just not happy with them. Like, what am I... Even saying, so you, you never feel totally comfortable, which is probably a good thing. And I got, just like you always do when you, when you think you bomb, everybody's like, that was so great. Oh my gosh, that was one of your best. (laughs) Um, which is, I guess God, God's way of proving to you that you being good at this is not a function of you having talent or, um, you know, being a really polished speaker. It's the fact that you are completely powerless and dependent on me to speak through you. So it's a, there is no formula to it, but doing, trying to do a good job, paying attention to your audience and uh, praying, I mean, you guys are going to be fine. People are going to be all over you guys. Um, Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Grateful for your homilies, I'm sure.
2: Very grateful.
0: Be
1: like, whoa, okay, autographs after
0: mass, (laughs) not during that's one of of those jokes that always gets a chuckle when because during CCD school year kids have to get their bulletin signed by the priest to prove they were at church and like every dad coming out the dad joke is oh they're getting your autograph huh pretty good homily must have been oh my gosh I've heard that 50,000 times yeah but they can't (laughs) they have to say it they have to say it like,
2: that lets you know I follow sports, I know autographs are important, and, like, <laughs> this is also a quasi-compliment. I just do them right during the homily. I'll just go down and kind of, like, speak as I'm signing. Right. So, High-fiving I think the, people.
0: I think the people will like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to get in there with them, you know? I was listening to some focus talks, and, you know, you got your kind of prime time Catholic speakers at those, even at the uh, breakout sessions. I was listening to a couple of them online, and people are like hooting and hollering at points people are making. You know, <laughs> like Jason Everett was giving this talk on manliness or something like that, and he would like tell a story about some martyrs, and he would have some just like really tight line to just like sum up the lesson of the story that was really kind of manly and burly, and you could just hear the guys be like, yeah! <laughs> and start <laughs> clapping in the middle. <laughs> it was. It was amazing. I never heard anything like that. Huh? Could you imagine That's cool. if you're in your homily, if you just like totally nailed a point, <laughs> <laughs> people just went nuts. That's so funny, man. That's great.
2: That is really good. You know, I've I've actually, um, well, I don't know it's such a strange thing. Like Father Cywick was so influential, and I I I can't believe that he was, but. All of my homilies, I'm just trying to remember like all these things that Father Cywick would say and, and one of the things that that always comes back to me is that a homily and I, I don't I, I believe this is true. and I couldn't really tell you that it's true outside of the homily takes place in the mass, but a homily is totally different than a talk or different than getting up and teaching or getting up and just catechizing people. And like, that was something that Cywick drilled into, into us pretty, pretty firmly is like a homily is unlike anything else that you'll ever do. Even if you're up preaching and teaching and saying basically the same message outside of the context of mass, it's not the same thing. And so like just the power of the homily because it is a homily and like, it's a part of this liturgy. That's this otherworldly thing. That's going to lead to the Eucharist. Like, I don't know. There's just so much that's set up to allow a preacher to be quote unquote successful in the sense that it leads to an encounter with Christ. Like, I don't know. I, and, and I guess I say part of that is because part of my time at the parish is I've been very surprised at how, uh, how well prepared I feel just being dropped into a random place. And, like, I, I'm, I, you know, I have my own struggles here and there, but, like, for the most part, I'm able to just be dropped into a parish and serve as a deacon uh, pretty well. And there's a lot of gratitude that comes with the formation that we have. Um, and it's taken a long time, I mean, five years, but they just dropped us in a parish and said, go be a deacon with these people and with this priest and like i feel relatively comfortable doing it uh yeah so i guess honestly just gratitude gratitude for father Sidwick with the preaching because that was a big anxiety for me and then a realization that like god is he has been providing for a very long time but is is continuing to do so i don't know if you had that feeling as well rob or father when y'all got into the parish like not that you can do everything or there there aren't things that are overwhelming. I mean there's definitely been that stuff.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's also moments when I look in the mirror and I'm like uh <laughs> I guess I am a deacon, you know, type thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh Um But no, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, a lot of gratitude for sure.
0: Yeah, it's not everybody that gets six years of schooling and practical training and They do their best to give you everything that you need to get out there and do it. But at the same time, there is no training like on-the-job training. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. And there's stuff you run into that you never could have predicted. And, you know, your weaknesses get just amplified when you get in situations that you're not comfortable with or that you don't have some strength that you can compensate weakness yep. in a certain area or ignorance in an area yeah um it's a lifelong i'm sure process and you just get more comfortable like you said about preaching in spanish is a good example i was the same way like i couldn't couldn't get up there and wing a spanish homily but now i'm not great at it i still am much stronger in english than i am in spanish but i don't uh need notes usually it's my last mass of this, you know, so I've preached the same homily three times already. And then I do the Spanish mass. So I just translate it. I'll sit in my room for 15 minutes and think through the homily and make sure I know all the words, the key words that I would need in Spanish, uh, like to tell a story or to do this or that. And then I go. And that was just something that over time you get more comfortable with. Uh, same thing wakes. I remember as a seminarian, it was a great, I had a great mentor that was kind of sink or swim. He'd just throw you and be like, all right, you're going to go do this wake for me. Go by go by yourself to the funeral home and run the wake, you know, which he'd, he'd shown me. He took me once where he did the wake service. Mm-hmm. And then the next time he's like, go by yourself. No. And mm-hmm. he, he didn't tell me this, but he followed me in his car and like was sitting in the back. So I couldn't see him. So I Whoa. thought I was by myself, but he was, he was there like. He was watching you? Yeah. At the end to kind of tell oh. me, give me some feedback and stuff and. Whoa. Those are great. I mean, you just totally get out of your comfort. You don't know these people from Adam, and they just yeah. someone died in their yeah. family, and you're like, I'm the guy to come up and tell you stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm 25 years old or whatever, and yeah. you just get thrown into it. Yeah. yeah. That's... Uh, yeah, I think that's also reality of...
1: Like, it is just a very... Um, a public life as well of, like, just people a lot of people know your name immediately, you know, at a new, or at least I've just reflected on that a little bit here. And I would say like my strengths are, um, I don't say I like necessarily flounder at it hugely, but like the public aspect of it isn't where I like necessarily thrive either. And I know we've talked about, I know we've talked about this before, just like it's kind of necessitates that you can't have a lot of emotional hangover, uh, I think that was your term, bisque, that really stuck with me. Um, but just little things that I've noticed that, honestly, I, I do think they can be like a big deal. But there was this guy like last Sunday mass that I've known. I've actually known him for a long time, like even before I was here at this parish. And I just blanked on his name and went for it. And I called him in the wrong name and he corrected me. It like wasn't that big of a thing. But I was like, oh, man, that was just, like, a, a bummer, you know? Um, And so it's just, like, I'm not saying it was, like, sinful or anything. It was just, like, that was just a bummer that that went that yeah, way. It
0: makes you feel yeah. bad.
1: Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, like, but you just, the notion of it, it's, like, you just got to move on. Like, yeah, give it to God. It. Mm-hmm. I'll probably make, you know, if I think about it the next time I see it, I'll probably, like, make some type of joke about it or something like that just to make sure he knows that I know who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But the reality is, is like you just got to get over it. That's exactly right. Like you just got to move on. Um, so that's been tough for me, like at different moments.
2: Yeah. No, that's. Yeah, that's very, very true. I appreciate you saying that because that's another thing that comes along with it is, like, yeah, being a public person is so strange. I know we they they tell you about it all the time in seminary. Yeah. But then, I mean, you're sitting in the adoration chapel. And some lady gives you a handwritten note that's she, I seriously got a handwritten note that said, you're right. You are skinny. You should come over and eat dinner with my family. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> hi, how are you? You know, like <laughs> in the adoration chapel, but it's like, I'm just, a am their deacon now and they can do stuff like that. Um, oh my and And it just, honestly, it feels like, you know, you kind of walk around with this sign that says like, Hey, any imperfection that I have, like, feel free to point it out to me. <laughs> like,
1: you can now say anything. Like on the other side of that coin, it's interesting because I've had that, and then on the other side of the coin too. Like, I've just felt like so unconditionally loved by people that it's like hard to accept that at times too. Of like, why are you so excited that I'm here? Like, yeah. I'm excited to be here certainly, but um, I, I just like. It's been very, it's very, very humbling in that aspect at moments, too, of like, you know, people want to come and say, hey, and because they're excited to have a deacon at the parish, you mm-hmm. know, and it's yeah. like, dang, that is, that's something right there.
0: It's also, yeah. it's also helpful to remember the hundreds, if not thousands of people who have no idea who you are and don't care. 'Cause we it's like kind of yep. the greasy wheel gets or greasy what is it? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like the people that yep. you mostly see are people who mostly see you, who are the people who are oh, yeah. there on mass on Sunday and stuff like that. So you yep. know, I totally you feed on that, but part of the, I think part of the reason, at least for me, a lot of that was a little why are you so excited? you know, like Yeah. Yeah. Uh you must not know me, <laughs> you know yeah. if you're if you're this fond of me or something. You know, it it was because <laughs> there's a there's a sense that like well, there's a lot of people who have no reason or see no reason to ever darken the door of this church and would never know who i am and um it's easy to just get a warped vision of yourself you know when you're a public oh, yeah. person, I think because if you pay attention to the the voices that you most frequently hear. You will either on one side, like you're saying, Mike, this hypercriticism or constant self-consciousness about your own imperfections or a certain like heady egoism where you kind of can't fail. And people just love it when I talk and never stop talking because look, they're all paying attention. They just love me and it's sort of a disengagement with reality. So that's why it's important to have people who do know you it's also important to get out there with people who don't know you, have no idea who you are, and mm. just recognize that you're a you're a human being like everybody else, but you have an extraordinary job. Yep.
2: Yeah. And keep at true. it. You know, if the
0: bluegill keeps taking your hot dog off the hook, don't give up. That's just right. Just keep going back to the picnic table, put another dog on the hook, put it back yes. in the water,
1: throw it in the water.
0: Yep. Persevere.
1: Good girl.